0: This is For Fox Sake.
1: Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and I'm in For Fox Sake HQ1 and down the line in For Fox Sake HQ2, Got Mr Rob Hayes. How are we doing, Rob? All right? Yes, good, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, tip top. actually. Not bad at all. Um, now, we're going to start with, obviously, the... Uh, well it's not breaking news, but it's uh, the, the news that's happened uh, today or been... Uh, announced today, and that's the uh, the death, sadly, of uh, of Gordon Banks, World Cup winning goalkeeper at uh, Leicester, and um, oh, it's, it's just sad news all round. Really, he's uh, he's not been well of late, and uh, unfortunately, passed away aged eighty one. And with players who have played for Leicester in the past and have been successful in their career at Leicester, and then successful elsewhere, it's nice to look back, but. To have a player who won the World Cup with Leicester, nowadays it might happen probably with another nation. You can look at um, the likes of Angolo Kante winning uh, only uh, what well, a year ago, but obviously it wasn't part of the Leicester setup at the time. But it, it does seem to people who weren't around at the time, and actually I'd probably imagine people who were around at the time, it's quite surreal that a Leicester player who was currently on the books at the club won the World Cup.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty pretty impressive stat, isn't it? Obviously it was a a long time ago, but he's a household name, Gordon Banks, he's obviously regarded as one of the the greatest players ever to put goalkeeping gloves on and that coming from a lot of that coming from some of the greatest players ever to to play the game from an attacking point of view, somebody like Pele, but the ties that he's got to Leicester City and that um that incredible statistic that he's the only player to win the World Cup whilst being a Leicester player is is um, is a part of our history books that I, I don't think we've ever taken it for granted. I think we've always held Gordon Banks in such high esteem, and not that this podcast is in any way, shape, or form a reflection of Leicester City fans as a whole or or what we say is means naff all in the grand scheme of things. But as you po- posted on social media earlier, Pete, he was given the number one shirt in our um, uh, how do we phrase it without getting in trouble again? All time greatest players
1: to wear certain squad numbers, squad thing. Yeah, um, the greatest ever twenty-five in numbers one to twenty-five, and in no way, shape, or form a reflection on the best ever squad that you could possibly pick. Exactly, That's but all in one word,
0: if we if we take if we took away all of the parameters uh, surrounding that and you still wanted to pick your best Leicester city squad without a shadow of a doubt, he'd be in it. He'd be in many people's best all time world 11s or certainly world squads, such is the, the measure of his ability. Um, and it is obviously, um, the, the statements have said that, that he passed away peacefully and, um, he'd been ill recently. um, so, and it obviously is sad, but it's a time where we as a podcast and, and many Leicester fans and England football fans and football fans around the world can reflect on the uh, on the impact that he had on the game and and the way that he really stamped his name uh, as one of the world's greatest ever goalkeepers. It's, it's got to be a happy time. You've got to look back and say, well, he had an incredible career. He was by all intents and purposes... A great bloke, um, a good teammate to have. Judging by the outpouring of, of comments from former um, teammates, and I went to university in in Stoke on Trent, so I've I've seen the the sort of history that he has at two different clubs. Obviously, I see it through my Leicester City eyes, but I spent three years in Stoke uh, Stoke on Trent, and I worked at Stoke City Football Club while I was there. Um, and he's held in such high regard there as well. So it is um, it is a time to look back with fondness at what was an excellent career and what was a top bloke by the sounds of it.
1: Yeah, he joined in, in 59, £7,000 from Chesterfield, played until 67, uh, was in the FA Cup sides of 61, 63, uh, won the League Cup at Leicester, nearly won back-to-back, actually, League Cups uh, with Leicester, um, he then won the league cup again with uh, with Stoke City, their only trophy that they've ever won. Uh, but of course, he he left in '67, and uh, it's very famous. But players, uh, players, people listening to the podcast—if there are any players—fantastic. But uh, I very much doubt it. But any people listening to this podcast who have never really looked back at the career of of, of Gordon Banks at Leicester, um, at the time of when he moved to Stoke, such an interesting transfer. Mainly because of the standard that he'd reached at Leicester, there was no way that Leicester would ever sell a goalkeeper like Gordon Banks. He's just won the World Cup. He's he's the best goalkeeper in the world, and then they let him go because there's some young upstart called Peter Shilton who has basically demanded the first team shirt, saying that he'll be off if he's not given it, and so Leicester went, okay, we'll we'll go with. With Shilton, the youngster, and we'll get some some decent money from, from Stoke. He there was there was late bids from all sorts of clubs, like the Liverpool, uh, Manchester United, interested West Ham. Uh, there was some kind of deal half agreed, and then he ended up going to Stoke. And uh, who who at the time were you know a similarly kind of semi unfashionable club, and yet and then he still played for England all the way through until uh, obviously he had a, the car accident, etc. And uh, and that cut short his career, and uh, we all know about the save in nineteen seventy. But a very interesting transfer. There's a, there's a fabulous photo. The one thing at Leicester that uh, I know many fans maybe haven't been in the the West End at, at, at the King Power, but uh, we're very fortunate when you go along the at the top tier where all the the private boxes are, and there's access to the the media area, etc. And there's some tremendous photos that have been put on two canvases um uh, quite uh, quite large as well and and all throughout the history of the club and one of my favorites is the, the the very famous photo of both Gordon Banks and Peter Sheldon holding the same ball and it is literally passing the mantle on to this to this youngster and uh and yeah so it's well worth looking back at uh at Banks's career at Leicester and when you see you know BBC News, Sky News, and, and Sky Sports News, etc., all down at the at the Stoke City Stadium where they've got the trophy, uh, they've got the 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 statue of Gordon Banks, and and understandably so, you just hope that in the redevelopment of Leicester, um, I'd imagine that statues will be put up, and I'd imagine that Banks's statue holding the George Romaine would have been on the list and will still be on the list. It's obviously a real shame that. He won't be around for the unveiling if if that happens over the next few years. But uh, he, he he has to be there, and I, I presume it will be. But uh, but yeah, sad day. But as you rightly said, a day to look back at, uh, at his career and 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 with fondness. And from a Leicester point of view, I know a lot of the news uh, segments will be based around Stoke and England because. That's where the statue is and that's where they can mainly base their reporters. But, uh, you know, he played more games for Leicester and he won the World Cup whilst at Leicester, which has been uh, absence from the news. Not really blaming them, but uh, do you know what I mean? It's something that uh, you do have to look back. Um, I've been looking at the the Fossils and Foxes book uh, today, just going over his career, just to see, you know, once again... What's what uh, what the what the what the man did, and I've watched uh, a few of the um, the Pathé films that they filmed at the various cup finals. Obviously, the sixty-one and sixty-three he didn't have the best game, actually. Sixty-three against uh, Manchester United, but he was a hero in the semi-finals to get there against Liverpool. Many people listening to this who maybe were there Hillsborough. Um, he had a, he had a, a fantastic game. So uh, so yeah, that's the that's the news today. Um, back to more um, modern day. Antics, and it's it's interesting with the um with with the greatest sides and the greatest squads, etc. And we did go for Banks, and we said at the time that uh, that he is still just ahead of Casper Schmeichel. And I've always said that if Schmeichel wins a trophy, and I know it's not all down to him, but if he was Leicester to win the FA Cup, for example, next year, I would then probably put him ahead of Banks into my all time as my all time top goalkeeper at Leicester. Um, but uh, it shows you how, in, in what high regard that we keep him since we we gave him that number one shirt. Um, right on to uh, on to what happened at uh, at Wembley, of all places, um, obviously it's synonymous with uh, with Mister Banks. Um, we lost Rob, but we lost. Have have you ever? Here's a question to you: Have you ever been more proud? of, or more encouraged is probably the best way of a lesser defeat than you were in that defeat in a, in a league match, I'd say in a league match at Wembley.
0: Good question. Um, there have been times this season where uh, quite a few times, actually, where the result has been disappointing, but the performance has been encouraging. Um, And a lot of the time we've come out of those games and we've said, yes, the result didn't quite go our way, but, and there was always a but, and it seemed to be dragging on a little bit. There was glimpses of us putting together patches of a performance, but the result wasn't going our way. Um, I think the game against Spurs at the weekend was the biggest but of the lot so far this season in terms of the fact that we bossed that game for pretty much its entirety played some excellent football looked very comfortable um in and out of possession most of the time against a team that are still just about clinging on to the title race uh so to answer your question uh nothing really springs to mind although you don't tend to remember in in league games particularly you don't tend to remember good performances if the result didn't follow you know you could re- you yeah. can remember standalone cup games or or european games perhaps but not actually league games so yeah off the top of my head right now i would say that is one of the best performances i've seen as put in without winning a game in the league yes but i i think um and i i, I don't make grandiose statements very often but i really think or rather let me let me rephrase i hope that that performance is the turning point for the rest of the season and and I think it's a crucial time for us now because our recent run of results has not been great at all, our recent points haul is um, as some fans on phone-ins and social media have said over the last few days, relegation form and, and, and whilst I agree in terms of the fact that the form over that short space of time should get you relegated, I'm, I'm not for one minute suggesting that we will or that I think we're going to get dragged into it, but now, we seem to have found a missing cog. And I I know we've talked about it on the last podcast. So I'm not putting too many hopes on Tielemans. But he just found passes that no other Leicester player has found this season. He took up positions that no other Leicester player has been able to take up this season. Um and he made Wilfred and Didi remember how to play football as well. And Didi is very much influenced by the person next to him, apparently, now uh, on Sunday's uh, viewing. Playing against Papi Mendi knows how to tackle, get in people's way, and pass it square five yards. Playing with Tielemans, all of a sudden, And Didi was taking one touch out of his feet, and his range of passing got better. Um, I really do think that the level of performance provided that we can keep it and sustain that level against the teams that we should be beating, can provide a real platform for an excellent um, final third or whatever of the season.
1: I completely agree. I'll just go through a number of uh, of replies on Twitter to our, of course, three-word review. Uh, many people got in contact. Uh, performance deserves more. David Lusby, uh, Tillyman's missing link, uh, as you've alluded to there um we've had a, a in fact a number of uh, spurs fans actually picked up on the thread and uh, got a few uh, nice replies from uh, from people on twitter who who follow our twitter handle um the likes of Peter Boyston, uh quality over quantity. Then we've got uh, Haseep Patel with plenty of uh, of stats regarding the match saying that Leicester were, were on top, which, of course, they were completely. Yuri missing link once again. Uh, Oliver, once again, predictable. Uh, got to buy Tillemans, Packer Ken, uh, he's still pueling, in, uh, and and many, many more. It was uh, a, a very encouraging display by Tillemans but again it's the sort of player that we were kind of promised and 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 that his previous career at monaco and before that andelec said that he was and i completely absolutely 100% completely agree with you on um on wilfred indeedy and, and and we are miles and miles apart we haven't seen each other or spoke since the last podcast and i've got down in my little notebook uh, that i try and just jot a few immediate thoughts after a game especially one uh, that say on TV because it's very easy to think about these things during the game and then they you know pop out of your head and I've got Wilfred Ndidi underlined with passing the fact that Ndidi he learned how to pass the ball spreading the ball from left to right which we know is very easy to do and what him and Mendy Got kind of stuck in a rut doing, and it was left for the centre halves, especially Maguire, to make a forward pass. But he was exploring his passing range more than he's done probably for the last eighteen months in one game. Um, the, the the goal we scored, it that was a tremendous move of patience, just like Powell's been trying to implement. And that Leicester fans, the majority of them at least, will understand the way of passing the ball around and keeping possession and waiting for an opportunity or a run from a player or maybe just a one two on the edge of the area which led to the goal but the the frustration was just the constant sideways passing but indeed uh, he once or twice in that move made more of a, a forward pass or more of an outrageous uh, crossfield pass to the wing than he has done for for a long time and that goal was simply sensational in itself in a nutshell and there you have Jamie Vardy at the at the at the forefront of things, putting the ball in the back of the net. I think it's possibly the most encouraging display that we've seen from Leicester for a long time, probably since Puel's been in charge. And I don't say that lightly at all. He's had some very very good performances. He's had some very good performances in probably half an hour, maybe even forty five minute spells. He's had some fantastic. Uh, he he he's progressed some young players into the first team. The age of the first team is unbelievably young. He's um started to quality over quantity is a, is one of the three word reviews, which is exactly right. All the good things that Puel has done, um, really was summed up by this performance. It really was a performance of Puel, and also you could say it was a performance because we didn't get anything from the game as well, which obviously against Spurs is going to be difficult, but we'll go into more details of the uh, things that happened but it just shows you what Powell has been trying to do for a long time he hasn't had the players and there's uh, don't get me wrong i'm not blowing smoke um up club powell at the moment so uh, if you listen to previous episodes we we've been in we've been out we've been you know 50-50 with the guy but uh, he he's finally got that missing link which is a very easy term to give to tillemans but he is he looked the business, and again, we've not got any deals set in place for Tillemans. He's on loan at Leicester, and I presume, just from this one performance, there's going to be a lot of scouts from Premier League clubs looking at him, going, we, "You know, we can get in. We like the look of this guy. You know, 22 years old, Traquair O'Reilly. We'll, we'll have some of that." Um, into more details. I mean, the whole penalty situation was just a bit of a mess, really, wasn't it? it so unfortunate, the fact that Vardy was coming onto the field. If it was only a minute or two earlier, then maybe he wouldn't have, you know, he would have been warmed up, he would have kicked the ball, he would have, um, it could have been different. Maybe if he was going to be wrought on five minutes later, then someone else onto the field must have been able to take, Yeah, would have taken it. Um, the one thing I'd say, I don't know whether you agree, Rob, is that it probably shows you the level of confidence that Madison has at the moment. He's not been in the greatest form. Um, I thought he played quite well actually in the game itself or better than he has done recently. But if he was in any way, shape or form confident, I think he would have kept hold of the ball and said, look, I'll take the penalty. You, you've just, you've just come on. Um, I've been on the field. I'll take it. I, I won it. We know he's missed one before for Leicester, but, uh, what do you think?
0: Yeah, surely it was a conversation that was had with the bench, though. Um, Madison had the ball in his hand and quite rightly so would have been preparing to take it had Vardy not been ready to come on. But if Vardy stood by the touchline and then he's come on and then he's taken the ball off of Madison, I don't think that Madison's in a position to to say or do anything because... He's either going to assume that Vardy's received instruction from the bench or Madison's heard instruction from the bench anyway or, even worst case scenario, Vardy's come on and gone, I'm the senior pro here, I'm the chief penalty taker, give me the ball. Um, I don't necessarily think it, it shows a lack of confidence from, from Madison. I don't think for one second that Madison ever lacks confidence in himself. I know a lot of our listeners watch the... Um, The interview with him on Football Focus on Saturday lunchtime and he is just a man of extreme self-confidence, borderline arrogance. I mean, I personally don't think I would like James Madison as a person, but that's just me. But in terms of letting his football do the talking, he has done so from performance-wise and stats-wise this season. So I don't think confidence is a thing for him. It must have come from the bench, or even if it just came from Vardy himself, I don't think Madison's in a position to turn it down. Should Vardy have come on and taken it with his first kick? Absolutely not From for, for me. I was watching the game on the telly, uh, and as soon as he came on, I thought, oh no, he's going to take the ball now. He's not kicked a ball since at least half-time, um, whereas other players are out there. They're in the moment of the game. They are, and regardless of what you say, football is a muscle memory. And yes, these footballers kick a ball pretty much all day, every day. But if a player's literally just had a shot or just played a ball, um, as opposed to a player that's coming on, what I mean, what time did he come on? Late 50, 50, 50 odd minutes. So it's at least 10, 15 minutes since he's kicked a ball. Surely the player who's on the pitch is his is, favourite to score that, regardless of who's coming on.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. It was it, it I think it was just a combination not of errors, it was of circumstance really. And the first thing I'd say is the fact that he should have scored. He's taken a penalty, should have scored, um and he he he's missed. Unfortunately in the game scenario, I literally put my foot in my mouth straight away afterwards because turned into turn into my dad saying Leicester I think he said something like we we're, we're still in this game or, you know, and I just said, I said yes, but we need to stop them scoring because they were putting pressure on us. The next few minutes afterwards, we need to stop them scoring at least in the next five minutes, not thirty seconds later. Eriksen scores, so uh, I kind of got it right and got it wrong, if you know what I mean. And uh, and obviously, then Vardy got on the end of a, a wonderful goal, lovely one, too, between himself uh, between Pereira and Tillemans after a fantastic move, and. Um, and then we're back in the game, Plenty of chances. Barnes missed two or three golden opportunities. First thing to say he's played really well against um Manchester United and now against Tottenham, apart from the finishing. Very direct player, getting into the, uh, getting the chances. He's he's getting into those positions, unlike uh, the likes of say Gray before him, and 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 when he's played out wide. But Barnes, as much as he's direct and going past players and and being. Um, the player that we hoped we would see when returning from West Brom, it was just a shame he couldn't put them away. That that just happens in games. A centre-forward will have a, a nightmare of a game and not score and, and then maybe get a hat-trick the next week. We just hope he doesn't knock his confidence because you've still got to get in those positions and it was just a shame he didn't finish them off. The selection of Vardy, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Rob. Um, the fact that he wasn't in the side, trying to play devil's advocate, he hasn't really played very well the last few games but then again he hasn't had the chances to put away um, there was obviously the incident at the end of the Manchester United game I still think he probably wasn't referring to Claude Powell in whatever he said which I don't think is as clear cut I think it might have been just a media story but if he has then Claude knows that he can't win a fight against Jamie Vardy but he can show him who's boss he's on the bench that's fine for me, if the manager who's being paid to pick the players decides that he's not going to play Jamie Vardy, OK, but I disagreed with the selection of grey up top, you would have to play iniacho another centre forward, at least in the number nine role, and at a ground where he scored a fantastic goal at the end of last season. And, I know it's Tottenham's home ground for this season and has been for last season, but still, it is Wembley. It is live on TV. You know, here's your opportunity. Go and do your stuff. I don't like Gray playing up top. Um, the playing Gazelle is 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 fine for me. Again, it's a, it's just a selection that the managers made. But I disagree with them not playing a centre forward in place of Vardy because it showed.
0: It did, but I don't necessarily think that he didn't start. Vardy because it's Jamie Vardy. I think a lot of people have have tried to make far too much out of whatever they think was lip read at the end of the Manchester United game. Um, I think Claude Puel realised that his style of football wasn't suiting a striker who plays on the shoulder. Jamie Vardy, although he can link play and he can hold the ball up, it's not his speciality. It's not something that you'd back him to do time and time again. And the way that Leicester are now trying to build chances and sustain pressure and possession in the opposition half is by movement, by dragging players wide, by players coming in short and other players going beyond. And I would, I was, I was looking at it from that perspective. I, I, I took, I took the the selection for what it was at the start of the game, and I thought, right, why is he selected Gray up front over anybody else, um, and. Grey was constantly dropping in short to try and link up or drifting out wide. And the the midfield for me was was the interesting one because rather than the four, two, three, one that we've seen recently, it was apparent that Tielemans and Madison were both playing higher up the field together, alongside each other just off of Gray. So the f- from my perspective, looking at it tactically, and obviously I've not had a conversation with Claude Powell or his coaching staff, I've got no idea whether this is right or not, but this is what I saw. I saw Gray coming off, making space through the middle, where Tielemans and Madison could go beyond. Now, Leicester previously have been a stick it over the top of the defence Whereas Gray was drawing at least one defender with him to try and create a little bit more space where Tielemans and Madison could operate in areas further up the field. So, uh, although it needs, it would need some refining and some practice because it's not only a different shape in the centre of midfield, but it's also a different tact in terms of the striker uh, or the false nine, if you want to put it in inverted commas. I don't. I mean, false nine. What does that even mean? Uh, only teams like Barcelona can really play it to, to the highest level but I think that's what that, that there's an element of that of what Leicester were trying to achieve uh, um, and people will say well yeah we didn't finish the chances because Vardy wasn't on the pitch but not many of those chances if if any of the clear-cut ones actually fell to Damari Gray so is that 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 like for like comparison isn't isn't possible and would those chances have been created if Vardy was on the pitch? Or was it the good work that Gray was doing that isn't perhaps as as noticeable because he's not making direct runs for the ball. He's making movements and movement, almost like a little bit of a chess game to try and draw things out of position to allow a greater space to operate within the opposition's final third. So Gray for Vardy being the only reason why we didn't score goals, absolutely not. Harvey Barnes... Um, Had a nightmare in front of goal, but did everything else right for me on the day. He was beating players left, right and centre. He was always an option out wide on the left. Some of his passing's a little bit loose. Chilwell got a bit frustrated with him. His finishing's obviously not quite there. Did we expect the finished product to come back and be... An outstanding Premier League player straight away when we wanted to recall him from West Bromwich Albion. No. Did we spot a homegrown talent who was playing very, very well in the Championship, was clearly full of confidence and could add some extra impetus to our attacking midfield? Yes. Did he do that? Yes. Will he score a few more goals this season? I really, really hope so. And I hope he keeps his confidence levels up because he can take a lot from the quality of his performance against Spurs. But look... He dropped Vardy for a reason. It was to do with the change in tactic in my opinion, not to do with the personnel. And if he'd started Ian Acho instead of Vardy, he's got exactly the same problem and it doesn't solve anything. If you're going to if you if Powell wants to start with a striker, it has to be Vardy for me. If you wanted to start with somebody like Gray for those reasons that I've just suggested, then it was absolutely vindicated in in the style of play and the the chances that we put together.
1: Yeah, I I I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I I I'll still always want a uh, a centre forward on the field. I I I'd want personally Iniacho over someone like Gray. But uh, but 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 there we go. That's that's the problem they have in the in the in the squad that they that they have on the field. I, I think I think Vardy just all round. I think just his all round game is better in in every way, shape or form than than anyone else who could play as a number nine or as that as that link player up top if you're gonna play that way. But as as a centre forward I still think Vardy when it comes to even the the points that you would say are he, the, the lesser points of Vardy's game I still think it's better than anything else that we have and obviously he came on he looked alive, wise, scored the goal eventually, a lovely goal it was and, and it was just unfortunate that uh, we we pushed and we were pushed and we nearly got the equaliser, many many chances and then they get the breakaway goal and one of those games but mightily encouraging in terms of the overall performance by the, the team and of course Tillemans and what they have to do now is back it up with Beating teams that uh, I wouldn't always say should beat, but because you know you, you don't, you, you're not got any given right to be any club in the Premier League at all. But when you're looking at the games coming up against the likes of Palace and you've got Brighton well people like Brighton, etc., um, you, you should be picking up points. And it's a very very close division. We are now what six points off. Um, Or eight points away from the relegation zone. But then again, we're only eight points away from seventh or something very, very similar. So there's an awful lot of teams... Between us and those places, both ends of the league, but we do need to pick up points. And what we need to do is cement this newfound performance level, which you can go back to uh, off the top of my head, especially the game against Liverpool in terms of defensive and being solid and looking threatening on the break. Manchester United are creating plenty of chances at home and keeping a probably one of the most informed teams in the league um, at bay, apart from the, the sloppy goal, which we gave away from a mistake. And looking the best side really uh, to after that goal went in, and then the, the the performance against Spurs, we need to back that up with performances at home against lesser opposition. And I think that Tillmans could it could be that link that really does spark the rest of the team into performing like not like they can, but in, improving their performances and giving them the chance to to grow as players because they are so young. We went through in great detail last week of how certain players, especially out wide in the forward three behind Vardy, haven't really kicked on in, in, in some ways uh, compared to other players in the team like, say, Chilwell. And we listed a number of reasons why having a person in the midfield who can actually pass the ball um, gives them the opportunity to to then run at the defence and, and to start a movement quickly forwards rather than just side to side and and that's what we had through Tilliman so hopefully we can spring into life and 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 really start to put some teams to the sword at home in those performances and you know get get some goals on <laughs> under under a belts as well it's been a while since we've actually scored a number of goals in one game it would be nice to see us bag a few uh, and and hopefully that happens and and looking towards the next game it's um it it's encouraging because um, Crystal Palace shouldn't hold any threats really, apart from obviously Zaha up top. They don't really have anything else. They're a very solid team. It was a disappointing display away at Crystal Palace, but they're a team that you couldn't look to really get at at home and look to get three points.
0: Yeah, I really do fear for the team that is on the receiving end of our full 90-minute, 100% performance this season because it's going to come... All right, we're in February. We've been building for this moment, and it is going to come. And if, as we've alluded to, uh, if the weekend is the the tipping point now, uh, the 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 run that we're going into is is important for a, a number of reasons. We're obviously we're eight points clear of the relegation zone at the moment. We're seven points away from seventh. Uh, I'm just looking at the last five games form table on the on the Premier League league table, and it's. There's no green on there for, for with a W in it. It's lost, lost, drew, lost, lost. So, look, we got Palace on Saturday, followed by Brighton on Tuesday. Two home games. Our home form hasn't been great this season, which is a surprise for us because our home form is normally something that we can rely on, right? These are both teams that we can absolutely play off the park and... You're, you're looking for us to do that. The, the players should take great confidence. I'm, I'm almost a little bit disappointed that we've got a bit of a break now in football until a week on Saturday because I think Leicester, the Leicester players would have been sat in that dressing room at the end of the Spurs game thinking I could go out again and play another 90 minutes right now against another team because I'm so full of confidence yet wanting to put right the result that didn't necessarily... that, that, that didn't manifest itself throughout the game. But look... We've got Palace at home, we've got Brighton at home, we've got Watford away, we've got Fulham, Burnley, Bournemouth. We don't actually have a game against anybody half-decent until we play Arsenal at the end of April, right? We're in the middle of February. We've got a player... Tielemann's nearly scored from the corner flag, for crying out loud. He's that good. All right, he's trying to whip in a cross, but come on. The guy's got something special about him. His, his passing was incredible. Um, just We could, we could genuinely... Genuinely go on a run of four, six, seven, eight. We could go on a nine-game unbeaten run and win seven of them. Very, very, very genuinely, that is a possibility, yep. um, and that would allow us to to go towards the end of the season on a real high. We'd absolutely climb the table. First and foremost, we beat Palace and Brighton. We we open up that large gap again between what you'd say is the top twelve and and the rest. Um, to to put any to put to bed any kind of relegation fears. Two wins gets you to thirty eight points, um, which would be absolutely more than enough to keep you safe. If that's the kind of thing that helps you sleep better at night, look, we could genuinely, with the performance level, the addition of Telemans, the fact that things are clicking very very slowly, we we could go nine games unbeaten. Te- we and then you take that in and you beat Arsenal, and you've only really got May left, and that's Man City and Chelsea. So. There's no reason why the this last third of the season can't be a really really enjoyable one.
1: That's true, and uh, and then you start looking towards next season, which we won't obviously in this podcast. But if you if you were to look at the side at the moment, the first team you would imagine that Leicester could put out onto the field, you probably had Vardy up top, and then maybe Gray in replace of Gazelle. So that would be. And then the rest of the team, as it was, I'm not entirely sure why Mendy was going to be playing instead of Venditti, and obviously then he got injured. But um, it, it, you know, it, again, you would have you having a defensive midfielder alongside uh, Tideman's, and you know, one or the other, we'll we'll see what who's who eventually gets the nod. But uh, it is looking very very encouraging. There's a number of positions that maybe you could possibly improve on in, in terms of in terms of personnel in terms of depth but um i i like the comments of quality over quantity again slimming down this the squad making sure and i i've always advocated having 14 15 senior players and then if you have the under 23s like we do bring them through have them fill in other positions in that squad there's players now who are playing for the under 23s who are now going out on loan? that likes of they're not going to um, Division, well, League Two clubs or, or 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 further down or whatever. They're going to clubs like Hibernian, who are a decent side in the Scottish Premier League. Darnell Johnson. They, they're going to uh, clubs we've seen with Harvey Barnes in the Championship, and and these are the players that we need to be filling our. Premier League first team squad up with next season alongside our first team and alongside new signings in certain positions that are first team regulars. Um, that's what we need. Just notice actually Isam Slomani has scored for Fenerbahce in the uh, in the Europa League so uh, there's a bit of a blast. You never, you never know. These players can come back and one player I'm not saying one player makes a team but it can certainly help And it can certainly bring out improvements in a lot of people and we've mentioned already in Didi, next to Tillemans. And this guy might be a link. He might be that missing link that really does get Puel ball rolling. And and that's what I think we should really kind of finish on. We're not going to kind of say whether he's going to stay or go. But the more Leicester progress towards the end of the season, playing this style of football, playing with the... Forward, intent and the the, the quick passing going more forward than 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 ninety nine point nine percent of the Leicester crowd wants. That's all they want. They want it to happen. And now we have the player who can possibly make this happen. And if that happens, then Puel's position at the club is going to become fairly safe. And the interesting thing with Jamie Vardy being let's well, he was dropped. He was he was dropped to the bench. A lot of the media, it's an, and it's a very easy thing to put down, is that obviously Vardy and Puel have had a bit of an argument, and has Puel lost the dressing room? And I've I've got down and um, the final thing I've got down is that because we have such a young squad, um, there's obviously no doubts that Puel still has the support of the vast majority, if not all, the players at the club. But because they're such a young squad, does that give Puel more? of more security because these players aren't really going to turn against him because you look at Chilwell is Chilwell going to turn against Puel well no because he's given him the number three shirt he's given him the left back position and he's really progressed with that is um, Harvey Barnes going to turn against Puel well he's given him a first team place now called him back from alone is Gray well he's playing him regularly Um, is Madison well he signed him and he's playing him all these youngsters going to turn against Puel I I just don't think they will because he's the guy who's trusted them and he's the guy who's gave them that opportunity. So I think Jamie Vardy even if Jamie Vardy has a problem with well which for my personal opinion I think he obviously probably does. I don't think he doesn't like him. I just think it, there's obviously he he wants to play football in a certain way. It's not quite uh it's not quite the person he 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 would like to be in charge but on the same I don't think he's really fell out with him. I think there's just a bit of a disagreement but I don't think it's going to be a problem. In both camps, and um, and that's the the issue that he has, and I think he understands that he can't really, I'm going to say, lead a dressing room revolt. But I don't think there will be a dressing room revolt because it, the majority He looks round. He hasn't got Danny Drinkwater to say this, that, and the other two. He, he hasn't got say Fuchs or or even you would say uh, Morgan is is now obviously not a first choice centre half at Leicester, and there isn't the the, the close. Team that we've had in recent years and with all the success we've had there isn't that kind of dressing room click that maybe ousted Ranieri that didn't quite work with Shakespeare and and to a certain extent didn't play for well at the end of last season especially um, I don't know what you th- think on that subject but uh, it, it really does point towards Claude Puel having a, a strong hold over this first team and the club which is not necessarily a bad thing and especially if all that is backed up by a very successful end of season in terms of points.
0: Yeah, it's not a case of, well, putting his arm around some young players and saying, oh, yeah, you're good enough. Oh, yeah, I'll give you the chance. Um, and and then them getting 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there, the occasional start. Like you say, he's put his his faith in them. On the line, he's he's put them in game after game, week after week, backed them to the hilt, trusted them to try and play the style of football that he wants to play. Look, for whatever your opinion is of Claude Puel, um, he is making bold decisions in the best interest of the long-term future of this club. In my opinion, he's he has wheedled out some of the um, the deadwood. He has. Made big calls um, in reducing Danny Simpson's role in the squad, in gently reducing Wes Morgan's playing time. Once Evans and Maguire were both fit and both accustomed to each other and and, and Leicester City, Wes Morgan dropped is a strong word. Wes Morgan was removed from the starting lineup temporarily. Right. And whatever the reason for dropping Vardy on Sunday, whether it was a tactical one, whether it was to prove a point that I'm the gaffer here, whatever the point was, it's a big decision to make because he knew people would be, uh, be talking about it. And he said that he doesn't really, that that, that that media and fan opinions aren't really his concern. His concern is what's going on on the pitch. And look, we we're, we're very much on the fence on this podcast about Puel in, Puel out, and we don't, we don't even have the debate most of the time because it, it, it's pointless and it's a waste of breath because it seems to have been happening ever since he first came to the club, but everything that you've said and that I'm backing you up about now would suggest that leaving Claude Puel in charge for a longer-term contract would be a very beneficial thing to this football club. He's proving that he can change the style of play. He's proving that he has got absolutely no time whatsoever for the Billy Big Boys trying to boss him about in the squad. And and again, whatever you make of the stories of previous managers that were booted out through player power is is you're entitled to your own opinion. Nobody'll ever know the facts. But Claude Powell has guarded himself against that by managing the senior players well, by showing them that he's the boss by not making not ensuring that they start every single week. Nobody's guaranteed a start in this Leicester team, let's get let's face it. And he even said himself we need to find different options and finding a different way to play without Jamie Vardy is something that Leicester fans have been genuinely worried about. he's he's aging. He's had a couple of niggles this season and we've said, well right, how do we play without him? The game against Spurs on Sunday is how?
1: I um well I, I I agree I agree with with what you're saying and I think the way that we play without Jamie Vardy just to just just to pick up on your last point for me would have to be in the transfer market it would have to be young centre forwards because I'd imagine that's who they go for that you, you could go to a, a player in the championship you could go to a player even further down and say look come to Leicester and you will not be first team because we've got Jamie Vardy but what a guy to to learn off then then Jamie Vardy come and play here. Um, I would like to see them possibly get more of an experienced striker, um, even even possibly so an, an old head, uh, and, and maybe a bit more physicality up front as well. That that's what I would like. Rather than try and play someone like Gray up top, I still think that Leicester need that. I think maybe a target man could be the the other way, the other option. You could play that even with a defensive lineup. But um, I I do agree. I really do agree. It, it's looking good for the future it's looking good for Puel as well but the other hand the other side of the coin is there'll be a lot of people looking at Leicester going what a side they have, really good young players money to spend um, a very attractive club to come to, a very attractive team on paper especially if they, they end up signing Tillemans which I'll imagine the ball is probably rolling as we speak already and you just wonder whether a manager can get more out of that squad. Yes, all the points I completely agree with. If And uh, what I would like to do, maybe even next week or the week after, um, depending on how results go, because again, people change their mind with one result to the next, is, is you could draw up some kind of like plus and minus points on Claude Powell. And just to weigh the argument up, because we are so 50 50 on this guy. And it would be very interesting to look at those plus and minus points, which every manager have but i think with claude it is so extreme with those we can see what he's doing with the squad and the club and the team and the way they play but we we know what um what why the fans don't like him and we know his minus points and some of them are, are very severe in my in my opinion as well but i just think on the other side of the coin is will a manager another manager be able to get more out of the team maybe look at it and go we need to be playing this certain way or maybe just changing things and 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 maybe they'll respond to that um so there is that option as well as much as if Claude's doing really well uh, towards the end of the season you might look back on at a hole and say if this guy all of a sudden wants to come to the club whoever it is can shall we you know do we twist and 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 get rid of Puel and and get someone bigger and better who can attract better players and and we can look further up the table it's it's very interesting and it's very encouraging there's been a lot of people Having remarks about, you know, season tickets and what we're going to do, and, you know, I'm not going to turn up and watch this rubbish. And don't get me wrong, there's been some dross. There's been some very poor performances. And these next games are very important. We know Puel can set the team up and the team can play against the big sides. We've beaten Chelsea, we've beaten Manchester City, we've performed very well against some big clubs. It's those home matches, especially against teams that we need to be on the front foot against, and at least getting some shots on target in at least the first half for a start. That's that's the that's the problem. That's his main problem. And I think if he sorts that out, then I think the fans will be fine. We we we're not demanding any position in the league or demanding victories all the time. Look at the response to this game against Spurs. It's been one of the most encouraging defeats that I've ever seen a Leicester side have. You can just, you know, the possibilities were just pouring out of every position on that field, especially when Vardy came on. It it, it was really, really exciting. Unfortunately, they got done in the end, but I don't think that will be the case for much longer. This team will grow. And I think um, to to round off, you mentioned one player in particular to round off, um, and it is Wes Morgan. We know that the best defence is... Pereira one side, um, Chilwell the other side, and Johnny Evans alongside Harry Maguire. I think the encouraging aspect of that is Johnny Evans, the the way that he makes whoever he's plays alongside very very comfortably indeed. If and if we were going to lose, and this is this is my second question, if we were going to lose one player um, this summer, the one player in my opinion that not that we can afford to lose, but that we have enough cover in behind that it maybe wouldn't make uh, the biggest dent, is probably Harry Maguire. Now, I'm not saying we've got to get rid of him or sell him, because you do not want to sell him at all. But if we did, then you would still have the likes of, to show you, you'd have uh, uh, what's-his-face-up at uh, Celtic on loan, um, who's been performing very well, and who's who's obviously still young, but that can come back, and of course you've still got Wes Morgan on the bench, and he's been replaced and rightfully so because of his slight downturn in form but because the two have been playing so well and I think Johnny Evans would be alongside another defender and it just gives you a lot of heart if you look across the field so so my question is if one player was going to be sold for an awful lot of money this summer and you're going to throw like lots of chill into that into the discussion uh, even someone like maybe indeedy or or Obviously, Maguire, you know, which one, if it had to be one, would you choose? And also, would you give Wes Morgan another year? I would, at a drop of a hat. Another year, club captain still, not a problem. Whoever's leading out onto the field can be captain, the likes of Schmeichel, who's been captain in his absence. But I still think Wes Morgan deserves a year. I think he's good enough for another year. I wouldn't give him any more than that. It, and then it's obviously down to the player. And I obviously I don't see any reason why Wes would not sign a year extension, knowing that he's no longer a first-team regular, but can easily come into the side.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I don't really think that it's very positive of you right at this second, Mr Selby, to be thinking about losing Harry Maguire in the summer. But I agree that centre-back is a position where we have a lot of strength at the moment Johnny Evans is a good few years younger than Wes Morgan Uh, Morgan to have another season yes Uh, is he good enough to be starting week in week out no is he effective cover yes is he well liked in the dressing room and will he help soon and Benkovic absolutely Um, but I think if we go on this crazy 9 or 10 game unbeaten run that I'm really hoping we do um, then there wouldn't be many reasons for Harry Maguire to leave Leicester. I think if if we really showed our true potential in the last third of the season, I think we'll we'll be in a position where we can keep players and attract them. Um, certainly if Tielemans continues in the same vein, then we want to keep hold of him on a more permanent deal if that was an option. But yeah, Benkovic and Soyuncu to come back in, Uh, Obviously, we've seen Suyuntu in flashes. He likes to play football, which is what Harry Maguire likes to do. Um, Johnny Evans can play football in the right areas, but also is a very, very calming head at centre-back. I think he's been an absolutely brilliant bargain signing for Leicester City. He's done so much to calm the defensive situation down, to improve distribution from the back even more so than than people have given him credit for. So, yeah, center back. I think, is a good one. I agree with all your points. I think we've got good players to come back in. Um, I think we'd be fine if Maguire left. I'd rather him stay. And I can't see any real negatives to Wes Morgan having a, a year contract extension. Other than the fact that it was a bit dodgy that Puel said, oh, no, we're not talking about contracts right now when... Other players such as or uh, Brighton, let's say, um, and Hamza Chowdhury, I, th- I think, recently signed contract extension. So it's a little bit hypocritical there. So I hope it doesn't rumble on. I don't think anything need- big needs to be made out of it. Get- just get it done behind closed doors, say Wes is staying for another year and, and wrap it up there.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's a shame about Albrighton getting injured. Looks a, a really nasty uh, hamstring. He's obviously out for the season and uh, hopefully he can come back and start pre-season you know, in, in tip-top shape. And it has no lasting effect on his game, especially after signing that contract just from a, a football club point of view. But um, I agree on Morgan. I, I, I don't see any down points in him having another year. And, uh, and, and we'll see how it goes. So fingers crossed regarding the game against Crystal Palace. Final thing is um predictions of uh, well, Palace and Brighton because we we'll won't do another podcast before the end of those two games. So I'm going I'm just going to go for back to back victories. Why not? I think it might be quite tight, uh, especially maybe the game against Brighton, quite a solid side. Um I'm going to go for I'm going to go for two wins. I'm going to go for, you know a, a, a nice 2-0 on Saturday and and then maybe maybe a 1-0 or 2-1 against Brighton.
0: I'm going we'll beat Palace 3-0. And we will beat Brighton 2-1. And it will be the start of our nine-game winning
1: streak. I like it. (laughs) I like it a lot. Fingers crossed.